Hello and welcome to Brokenomics number I can't remember, but this one is going to be all about the debt ceiling, which is a bit of a live issue in the US at the moment because there's a bit of an ongoing debate. Now, uh, we tend to film these with a, with a slight lag, so it's possible that by the time you see this, uh, there has been some sort of deal done on it. But nevertheless, we're going to get into the background of it, why it's important, and then the second order effects on the geopolitical stage, which are actually uh, far more significant than just the just the principal issue by itself. So starting off with the, with the US debt ceiling, what is it? Well, um, it, the US didn't used to have one. They always used to uh, basically agree each issuance of debt on its own merits um, one at a time. Uh, and that was a bit of a slow, tedious pro process. And so during the First World War, uh, they, they decided that they wanted something which was a bit more flexible, something a bit faster. So in 1917, there was the Second Liberty Bond Act. And what that did is it set an aggregate level of debt, so effectively a ceiling, uh, of the amount that could be issued. And then the Treasury basically had discretion to borrow up to that amount. So they could basically just raise the limit every time that they wanted to do it. Now, there has been frequent changes to this debt ceiling, as you can imagine, um, especially since the amount of inflation there's been since since 1917. In fact, this debt ceiling, it's been you know raised, extended, or suspended over a hundred times at this point since 1917, and the frequency of those changes is speeding up. Um, they're, they're becoming uh, they're becoming quicker now because, of course, uh, with the amount of inflation there is, the, there is the need to do well plus and the level of government spending that uh, the US takes on these days. So there's a lot of that. Um, there's always been a bit of a legal debate over it because under the US Constitution, only the Congress has the power to borrow. So uh, does the Congress setting a, a, a debt limit, a debt ceiling, really hold water in a legal sense? Bit of a debate, but I mean, it's it's been this case for over a hundred years now. So um, you would have thought if the uh, if the legal minds were going to weigh on this conclusively, they they would have done so at this point. Um, and the implications of this ongoing debate are, of course, fascinating. Um, it, it's crucial for the operation of the government in its current form, which is a, an overspending government. Um, and we get into a nice big ding dong every um, every few years with the government batting around uh, between the two political parties as, as to whether they're going to raise it or not. So let's get into the the current nature of the debt ceiling. And also, let's talk about um, abusive relationships, because um, that's basically what's happening here. Um, I'm going to start with this graph from um, the Visual Capitalist uh, that you'll that you'll be seeing on the screen, and what this does is it is showing you um, a visualization of the amount of U.S. debt that is out there. So you start off in the or if you're listening to this, um, it starts off with somebody holding a, a one dollar bill. You can imagine that, and then it shows um, various amounts um, going up to a million dollars, which you need a, a pallet for um you know the pallet like you you might move um goods around on um it goes up to 10 million which is oh i don't know size of a size of a uh, truck trailer something like that it shows um a billion which is, sort of takes up an entire sports field a bit more um it shows um a trillion which is truly a vast amount of money and you're getting up to large building sizes by this point so so stacks of dollars um, I mean the, the the graphic. If you if you um, can't see it, if you're listening to this, uh, they put it next to a, a seven four seven, and the seven four seven is completely dwarfed by it. But that's not the amount of debt that the US actually has at the moment. The US actually has thirty one trillion, which is um, skyscraper size, multiple times over 
so this is a handy visualization for the amount of debt that is out there. Um, an extraordinary sum of money. So how are the Fed are trying? How are the Fed trying to respond to this vast amount of debt? Um, and how are they trying to respond to the fact that the US is basically running out of money at this point because they're getting squeezed when we go into that? Well, they're, they're doing it by trying to um, lower inflation, um, which is a result of their previous money printing to bail them out of, of previous debt issues, which is destroying the economy, um, which is lowering taxes. So this has got the US into, into a proper mess. So let's put this into perspective because I've, I've, I've given loads of these sort of presentations over the years. And, and you put the charts up with all the numbers and people sort of smile and nod and say, oh, yeah, that's, that's fantastic, um, makes a lot of sense. And then they've forgotten it all like five minutes after you've told them. Um, I find the only way that this really sticks is if you boil the whole thing down to the scale of an individual. So let me tell you about an individual. Um, let's call him Bob. And Bob um, is a is a avatar of the US um, government. Now, Bob has uh, 600 and $80 in the bank, okay? That's the equivalent to the amount of um, money that the, the US has in its bank. Um, but Bob has credit card debt of quarter of a million dollars, which is not good. Um, he's having to pay $7,000 in credit card payments um, every year on this, uh, and that's rising. Um, the good news, however, is that Bob has an income of about $36,000 a year. So he can cover his interest payments, but the problem is, is that he's not just paying his credit card payment, he's um, spending out for other things, such as uh, social security and a large military and all those other things that, that Bob has to pay. In fact, his total spending is about $47,000 a year. So, you know, here's Bob, he's earning, what, 36, and he's, and he's spending 47 a year. So, Clearly, this isn't viable. And um, you know, if if it really was an individual that we're talking about, you would quite sensibly say that Bob is a bit of a lunatic and he needs to trim his spending. But of course, Bob isn't Bob. Bob is actually an avatar of the US government, and they are spending far more than they take in, and they're racking up massive amounts of debt. Um, just just to just to bear with the Bob analogy, slightly longer. Bob has actually, as well as his quarter of a million in debt that he's racked up already. He's actually promised to take on an additional 1.5 million in debt. Now he's done that largely through um, promises to pay Social Security and Medicare to the um, large boomer generation who is currently in the process of retiring at a rate of knots at the moment. So as you can see, um, it, it's just it's just a complete nonsense. When you put it in the human scale, you can you can see the scale of the problem that the US has. So you might reasonably ask. Um, what has the US got in exchange for all this vast quantity of debt? Now, despite what the politicians are going to tell you, what they've really got is a whole load of vote buying and wars. Now, um, it feels to me that something really changed after 9-11. Um, and that was the moment where this sort of festering, noxious evil in the heart of the American deep state achieved its final form. Now, maybe it goes back much longer than that, and, and I'm just not old enough to, to see any further back than that. But the, the US has become um, extremely war happy. And um, 
other um, social programs, which we talk about, um, in particular, uh, if you could call it that, lockdowns have had a, had a ruinous effect. But let's just stick with you know the raw aspect of this for the moment. Take a look at this article. Um, this is an article from Zero Hedge. Um, they're talking about um, the post 9-11 US conflicts have probably killed over four and a half million people. Um, they say uh, the post 9-11 wars on terror may have caused at least 4.5 million deaths in around half a dozen countries. The new report um, from apparently Brown University and a couple of other places um, show uh, the effect of this. Um, and it's people killed both directly and indirectly by the war on terror in Afghanistan, um, Iraq, Libya, Pakistani, um, Somalia, Syria, and Yemen. Um, they say since 2010, a team of 50 scholars and legal experts um, have been participating in the Cost of War project, keeping their own calculations. And according to their latest assessment, 900,000 people, including 400,000 civilians, died from post 9 11 wars. Another 38 million people have been displaced or made refugees. Um, the US federal government, meanwhile, has spent over 8 trillion on these wars. Right. So, uh, 8 trillion on wars. The scamdemic, that cost them another 6 trillion. You know, let's shut down the economy and funnel vast amounts of money to, um, you know, uh, both our friends and people who were, who was, who were gaming the system. Um, in order to get um, um, stimmy checks and um, COVID relief through businesses. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a whole other subject, but a lot of those, w w when you do money laundering, for example, you set up a whole load of shell companies. Um, and, and so you, you've got a lot of Eastern European, for example, sh um, criminal gangs who will have dozens and dozens of shell companies across the US, and each of them were eligible for um, COVID relief. So you, you, you can understand how... Oh, and by the way, they, they, I don't think they checked anything below 4 million um, claims on these. So you, you can see that the vast amount of money that the US wasted, not only in wars, um, but in the scamdemic as well, and you didn't get anything for that debt. And, and actually, you got, you got less than nothing because, um, of course, you've, you, you drove um, a vast amount of um, refugees out of those countries, which then went on to destabilize um, Europe and lead to all sorts of problems that, that Europe is having now. Um, I'll just close out with with another paragraph from this article while I'm while I'm having a bit of a rant. One 2012 study found that more than half the babies born in the city of Fallujah in Iraq between 2007 and 2010 had birth defects. Amongst the pregnant women surveyed, um, more than 45% experienced miscarriages in the two-year period. Um, following the 2004 US assaults on Fallujah, Geiger counter readings um, of depleted uraniums uh, contaminated sites in, in densely populated um, urban areas uh, are consistently show radiation levels that are between 1,000 and 2,000 times higher than normal. Now, incidentally, um, the, the UK, because apparently we have a special relationship um, with the US, and by, by that I think it means um, the US sees us as um, a, an uncle with special needs, who can basically always be relied to do something stupid if you if you tell him to, is is throwing our lot in with the current proxy war um, that the US is fighting um, against Russia and the British are now supplying depleted uranium shells um, to the Kiev re regime so that the people in Donbass can enjoy birth defects for the next century. So um, yeah, not good. All of this um, war, which we've um, we, we've had in exchange for all of this debt. 
Uh, and, and like I said, this doesn't even count that the that the millions of of engineers, um, surgeons, and architects that are currently being dumped into into Europe in the aftermath of this, and who are, of course turning up in in, in dinghies on the um, on the coast of Kent in the UK. So um, you know, fake wars, fake virus, um, fake riots, fake concern over fentanyl. You know, the US government is really on a roll, and um, yeah, they've racked up an awful lot of money. Uh, in debt, and they, they they're, they're they're a bit stuck with what to do with this, and they've reached the the debt limit again. So the House, because um, um, of course they got the House and they got the Senate uh, in the American system. The House is currently in control, being controlled by um, Republicans, who are at least keen to present themselves as small government, and they are basically in a position because they control the House to hold up this debt ceiling indefinitely. And they have passed a bill to increase the debt ceiling, and it will basically cover government spending for about another year. So conveniently, the, the debate will be got back into um, fresh in people's minds for the next US presidential election, which is no doubt um, part of this. But in return for that additional increase in, in the debt ceiling, what they are asking for is a reduction in, in federal spending by close to $5 trillion over the next 10 years. Now, that causes the Democrats to, to turn to their human shield strategy, um, which was very much in evidence in the last um, situation, which I also want to talk about, which was a 2011 debt default um, debacle. Right, before I cover that, though, let's just uh, rewind a little bit and, and go through the history of um, government shutdowns, because, I mean, it is, is important to talk about when the debt ceiling is reached. Um, the US has to effectively immediately stop deficit spending. Um, and so non-essential um, government spending is, is is immediately turned off. You might ask, why isn't it, if it's non-essential, why isn't it turned off all the time? Um, the historical overview on this is that there have been 22 um, government shutdowns in the US since you know the, the current budgeting regime kicked in in, in the mid-70s. And these these various shutdowns have varied in length and scope. Um, some have lasted just a few days. Some have lasted several weeks, such as the 2011 one, which we're talking about in a moment. And um, yeah, but in fact, let's let's get into the 2011 one because the the the, the standoff there was particularly significant. Um, there was some fallout from it, which was the US was downrated by Standard and Poor's, a rating agency, for the first time ever. And, and even though um, um, you know, and anything more significant was avoided. It did highlight um, a number of problems, and, and the partisanship that was building up, um, and the pushback. Because, of course, you had the Tea Party back then. I mean, the Democrats are always pro spending an unlimited amount, but the Tea Party were, were fairly active at the time. Um, the thing that was most striking for me was the was the Democratic playbook, which was to use human shields. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.